Welcome to Red Eye, a conversation series where V and I sit down and have the type of conversation you would have on a red eye flight late at night when the world is asleep. All sorts of thoughts can pop into your mind and we keep things thoughtful and entertaining as we discuss these ideas. Today we are talking about the Indianapolis Colts and their recent hiring of Jeff Saturday as our first topic. This was uh, an, a uh, former player that they just like it seemed kind of random, at least from my looking into it, V, uh, because it was just like they just picked. It's like a movie almost. They just picked this random dude, right, like out of nowhere, and they're like, "Here's this ridiculously high impact job." It's like when you grab someone off the streets and make them a king. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what it kind it's, of felt like. Uh, it, it, yeah, it, it, that's what it looks like on the surface, and that's what like the talking heads would like you to believe because of. It, it creates talking points and controversy and creates clickbait um, in the conversation. But then what is experience? What is inexperience, right? Like innovation usually happens from people who didn't necessarily have experience. And then when you dig beneath the surface here, it's like Jeff Saturday played in the NFL and was an all pro player for 13 years. He knows this franchise inside and out, knows the culture of the franchise has a strong relationship with the owner. I do, and in addition to that, this is an in-season interim hire. Um, the expectations are not very high for a 3-5-1 and one team. If the owner has a gut instinct about this, this player that he knows very well, has a relationship with, that the, the entire organization has a relationship with, and you're going to say, Let's see how it goes. This seems like the perfect scenario to do that in. And I feel like a lot of the criticism that came was almost like it was doctored. You hear Joe Thomas coming out. It's like (laughs) these extreme takes on like making sure they're browbeating them, you know, bringing up the Rooney rule, bringing up some things that aren't really relevant when you give situations context. Um, And then Jeff Saturday came in in week one. and won his first game. So it's like, well, how do you like me now? And I also <laughs> think, you know, the, the the flip side of this, and we'll talk into this, we'll get more into depth on this once I let you kind of have your take on it, is, is this idea of, you know, experience versus inexperience. You know, I'm like, I'm a total fan of these situations when they happen in, in real life because they're, they're the situations that you look back on and they make the movie about it, right? Like yeah. they typically tend, you know, if it's if it's someone who does it from like a pure place and like looking at the uh I watch a lot of the interview clips of him from his yeah. initial press conference and he just was so down to earth and so grounded. It's just like someone that you would want to bet on from a personality standpoint. You know what I yeah. mean? So I think from that perspective, like People like that are few and far between. And when you run into someone that's just 
really grounded and, and does things for the right reason. Like I think a football coach or any sort of position like that is a perfect position for someone with that temperament. And, you know, from like a strategy perspective, like we always talk about how the coach really has to be kind of a CEO too. Yeah. And, you know, if you have the right people around you, you don't really need to worry about those elements. You just need to worry about making sure everybody's on mission in your organization and that the culture is maintained really. Yeah. I mean, and that's the other side of this is like, he's a head coach. He's not the offensive coordinator. He's not the defensive coordinator. He is there to be a personality and to, to, to run the machine. And everybody that knows Jeff Saturday has nothing but great things to say about him. He's also somebody who is going to carry some weight in that locker room. He understands these players, what they have to go through, what they have to do to perform. And he's performed at the highest level. Um, and won and actually delivered a Super Bowl uh, to this this team along with Peyton Manning um, and also has the understanding of the game um, through those years of being Peyton Manning's um, linchpin on the offensive line. Uh, he really does understand the game of football from an X's and O's perspective, and he's not taking the position of, hey, I'm going to play call here. Um, and I think it's, a, it's an important point to make a counter here because what frustrates me more than the hiring of a Jeff Saturday who played 14 years in the NFL may not have had coaching experience is the nepotism that leads and this need to hire these 29, 30-year-old coaches um, who, who don't necessarily have the relevant life experiences to handle tough situations and you see them mishandle them all the time. You know, the biggest example that I would have is Matt LaFleur down in Green Bay. You know, you see over and over and over again him making ego, ego-centered decisions. And it's almost like this ego battle that he has to prove that they're winning because of him and not because of Aaron Rodgers versus a Jeff Saturday who's fully secure in who he is because he played the game. He's confident in his personality and doesn't need to prove anything. I think that personality is much better suited than hiring these coaches. And you saw it again in Miami with their young coach and how he handled the Tua concussion situation. I'm like, if you're going to give these guys shots and you're, why wouldn't you, what is the difference between that and what you're doing, a team doing with Jeff Saturday? It seems like taking a shot on Jeff Saturday is a much more responsible decision than hiring a 30 year old coach who doesn't, doesn't have playing experience and doesn't have extensive coaching experience either. Yeah. I will say for the Miami coach, uh, Mike McDaniel, I think, right? He's a good coach. His name? Yeah. Great coach. And I've been seeing some of the uh, videos of him and Tua kind of mic'd up during the games. And I just like really appreciate the leadership style of the new generation of coaches. They're very uh, communicative with the players. And I think that's really cool. Yep. Yeah. It's just an interesting conversation. I think it's a bunch of bullshit. Just, just let it play out. You know, at the end of the day, they have to live with the consequences. The ownership has to, he has to live with it. You know, all these talking heads complaining about it specifically because he's the interim coach. If he doesn't do a good job, he's not going to keep the job. Right. You know, right. they still have to go through the interview process of hiring a, a head coach. Just, Sometimes just let things happen and, and, and don't feel like you always have to take a stand on these kind of Well, they just wanted someone they trusted to maintain the culture for the interim, yeah. right? Like that's that's clearly 
what they thought was, well, we got, we're going to have to do this process, but we need to fill the, fill the holes until then. Yeah. And no one better than someone who won a Super Bowl at your organization who's like a team leader and a rational, reasonable human. <laughs> it just seems like a whole bunch of hullabaloo that, again, we're talking about it, so I guess it's it's doing what it's supposed to do. Yeah. Um, we're We're amplifying it, as they would say. We're utilizing our platform to promote it. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, our our, our take uh, our take uh, it seems to be a more responsible take than the extremism I'm kind of seeing on on both sides. Both sides I think sports this. extremism is one of the funniest things because it at the end of the day is like none of this matters. It's games. <laughs> I think like it, when I see people take like really strong stances, I'm just like, but it's a it's a game. We're yeah. playing a game here. Like this is not not real life yeah in other news obviously you know it's a it was a big week in politics last week it's still ongoing kind of seeing all this this play out um and after what seemed like a a rejection of like mega politics donald trump had to come out and say and and announce his run for presidency in the backdrop it almost was like because of all the media attention around the fact that the country showed that there wasn't support for his candidates he was like fuck you i'm gonna run for president now since you're gonna thumb your thumb your nose at me i'm trying to i'm trying to save this party and and it it is it is seems to be like a a a stand against the republican party that seems to be wanting to reject him to come out and and run and also with all the legal challenges it all seemed like it seemed like what how this scenario was going to play out was okay donald if you just don't run again we won't prosecute you uh, for any of these things, but as with most things, Donald Trump, nothing goes as planned. <laughs> yeah, I actually like was intrigued by what he came out saying because his uh, I saw some clips from his announcement speech, and he focused in on term limits for Congress, and you know a lot of that um, that kind of rhetoric. And I just thought it was really interesting that he was the angle that he chose. You know what I'm saying? Like interesting. Cause he's been disowned from the Republican party. Right. So he's just like, all right, like I'm coming at both. Yeah. I'm coming at the whole system. Like, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, that's what made him an intriguing candidate and why people voted for him is because they rejected, rejected the institution. And one thing you can, you, you can say about Donald Trump is he understands the pulse of this country and he understands what, people are frustrated by whether or not he's the person to solve these problems. Clearly he's not, <laughs> as has been shown, but he does know what what the pain points are for voters. And that I think is what's being showcased. I think Americans are very frustrated by politics, very frustrated by the lack of term limits and the lack of accountability for some of these veteran politicians on both sides of the aisle. So from that standpoint, definitely a smart talking point as a politician um now he doesn't want a term limit for himself it was up to him he'd be the president of the united states for 100 (laughs) years but that's a a different topic (laughs) that's a good one you know it's it's interesting too i felt like him as a president i felt like got more than i expected done but surprisingly moderate things done compared to what i expected and what his rhetoric was i think my my 
perspective on you know just kind of watching this whole thing unfold is just like i was i seen this video um on tiktok and it was putin talking about uh trump getting elected i think and yeah he was just like or obama or something he was just like it doesn't really matter who the politician is whenever they get elected a bunch of dudes in suits come to their office and tell them what they can and can't do and how things really work and he's like that's the power of the bureaucracy in america right and it's like at the end of the day like that's the reality here is like you know whoever's going to come come into the front and be the president for four or eight years is going to have maybe some level of of impact but the bureaucracy and that process was the intentionality of that was to slow down the rate of progress so that nobody could break the whole thing you know what i'm saying so it's like by design i feel like our presidents are less valuable than maybe they're made out to seem um i I would i would say that it's just like being the ceo of a a company there's a certain level of you just want somebody who's who's responsible in that chair right and i think the most important keeps an eye on things right keeps an eye on things isn't temperamental doesn't make knee-jerk reactions or decisions is very thoughtful simple thoughtful in their decision-making process um i think that's the most important thing it's so interesting that putin would say that because it's like he's the extreme polar opposite which is like there is no room for dissent i do whatever the fuck i want he just does it his way (laughs) yeah and he doesn't listen to anyone and if somebody disagrees with them they end up missing or in prison so (laughs) (laughs) i think uh uh, you know it, it is an interesting take that you know, it doesn't really matter, but it does matter in this sense is just that you want to have an adult in the room. Um, and I think that that's, that's the most important thing, you know, a, a good CEO. And that's why, you know, I, I, it's always interesting in American politics because the citizens, we turn away oftentimes from that figure that represents that. You know, we had on the Republican side of John Kasich, who was very moderate. Um, they did, he was not embraced by his party at all. Um, you have Liz Cheney now, who is pretty moderate, um, who I have a great deal of respect for, for just keeping it real. Um, and then, you know, you had you had Bloomberg in the last election, who was probably the best fit to be the CEO of the country. But for whatever reasons, our citizens reject these type of candidates. Yeah. They're boring, to be honest, but I mean, that's what we need. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you don't want, uh, you don't want a firecracker trying to, trying to manage the entire government and country that we live. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. Um, so in, in other news, um, I wanted to bring up that KD did this interview with Bleacher Report today that just came out. And he was he was just super candid, and I've just been loving like this iteration of Katie, who's just like loving basketball, not really worried about any of the media. He's not like it doesn't even seem like he cares about championships. I feel like dude's just pulling up every night and just getting buckets, and then heading home and kicking it. Like it's cool to see somebody just like really live in their passion for like their part of the game, and like for him, it's just like. This dude loves to just show up and get buckets. That's all he wants to do with his life. 
Yeah, and and create burner accounts on Twitter and and cause chaos. So, <laughs> KD is a weird dude, um, and I get uh, I I guess my position on him is a little bit a little bit frustrated because it's like, yeah, he shows up and he does his part, but it's like, dude, you gotta you are you do you are one of the greatest basketball players ever to play the game. Like, you just kind of let. He's kind of just letting the Brooklyn Nets situation burn. Like, it doesn't seem necessarily that he's necessarily taking any responsibility as the leader of that team to kind of make sure there's, it's like chaos there, right? It was chaos. He wanted Harden there. He wanted Kyrie there. He brought this team of super friends together. It didn't work. Same thing in in Golden State. It's like, you know, it reminds me quite a bit of like, you know, the Dominique Wilson's. Dominique Wilkins, Carmelo Anthony type of player, like, cool, it's great. You know, I'm glad he's living in his truth, whatever that might be. But at the end of the day, you do have to take accountability for the fact that your team sucks. <laughs> hmm. The team is definitely struggling. He had a pretty funny quote in this article where he named, he's like, this is the starting five. And he yeah. named all these what guys. What do you expect like, me to do? Yeah, he's like, no offense, but like, <laughs> we're not going to win mean, championship. <laughs> I mean, the Ben Simmons trade was like the end. Like, I didn't understand that trade. You just fix it with Harden. You don't trade for Ben. Sorry, Ben Simmons. You know, you're not good. <laughs> you're not good anymore. And whatever you're dealing with mentally, I don't know if you're getting the sports psychology. I never was sold on his. I was like, look, you can't have a guy be your number two player who can't score the basketball. This has always been true. Now you add the case of the yips and you're, you're seeing what's happening with Harden. And it's just like the GM. That's the thing that I don't understand in this scenario of Brooklyn is what dirt does Sean's marks have that it seems like he just has like free reign to do whatever the hell he wants, despite failing in his coaching hire, failing as a GM, failing in every area. And then not being able to, and then I don't know what's going on with this owner either. It's like, he's like, I just don't understand. I know Brooklyn is like, there is something to be said about like what Kyrie did specifically in the community of Brooklyn and how damaging that was. But Joe Sy just seems to be like, it seems like this seems to be like him taking out his redemption for uh what happened last year with the vaccine like fine it's why is the five games was fine why is it seven games now why is it this like yeah it's like trying and, to lose and you're right? not his daddy you know you what know, i mean you know what i think i think joe size trying to tank for Wembayana. yeah i he, think he's just gonna sit on all these guys and he's just gonna trade all these fuckers for Wembayana. <laughs> Could you imagine if it's Katie and Wimbayana? <laughs> That's what I'm saying, dog. Like, I think he just he's sitting there. Josiah knows exactly what he's doing. He's just like, I'll maintain the disarray. We'll yeah. be terrible. We'll get yeah, Wimbayana. And, and by suspending Kyrie, I don't have to pay him his salary. So this is great for me. Yeah, exactly. Because he had to pay him with the vaccine stuff, right? Or did he not have to? I don't think he. I don't think. Did I'm Kyrie not sure. Opt out? I think Kyrie might have opted out of some. Yeah, I'm not sure if Kyrie got paid his salary. That's interesting. That's some information that'd be good for the next show. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. KD is a KD is a is definitely a character that's interesting from a basketball perspective. He's very frustrating, 
Yeah. But like you said, there are elements of his personality now that he's just like, you know, there's something refreshing from someone saying, you know what, fuck it, this is all I can control and I'm going to do what I can control. You guys figure the rest of the shit out. <laughs> That's crazy. So uh, Kyrie said um, he missed out on like an extension or something. He le- it's This article is from someone, sportscasting.com, and it says that he left $200 million on the table. Oh, wow. He lost over $18 million of his contract. Wow. Wow. Which I respect. But on the flip the fact side, that he ben, got- look at Ben Simmons. Collected every fucking penny. You know yeah. what I'm saying? There's two ways to handle the shit you need to stand on. Yeah. If you're not performing the service, is it fair to ask for the money when it's your problem? I mean, and that's why I differentiated what happened this year with Kyrie versus what happened last well, year. He was, I'm saying he was, with I'm saying with Ben too, right? It's like you're gonna come in and say Ben oh, Simmons, I have a mental I have no, health issue. Yeah, I need to get ben, paid for that. Like, then how? What are you getting paid for? I a have physical no, injury have, is totally different. I have no respect for Ben Simmons. I have no respect for him or his positioning or what he's done. Um, he has he's. He's having no, you know, having no accountability or responsibility for, and he's getting paid 30 plus million dollars a year. That's the thing. Yeah. And you're not even trying. Like, those are the type of people that I think, you know, they definitely should be, you know, put out in society and called out for what they are because it's just, it's just frustrating and disgusting to see that. Yeah. I will say recently he's been, Definitely taking all the criticism he's getting to the chin and like really owning it, which is cool to see. So hopefully he uh, he gets <laughs> yeah. back to being great. I mean, he, I guess he's getting paid a lot of money just to own sucking. I think that's the least he can do. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't know what I don't know what happened. Like he's playing, but he's just not good anymore. Like what is? I think that? it's he's got the yips. I think the things that have shown like the whole mental health thing says a lot about somebody's character and personality. It takes an incredible amount of mental toughness and fortitude to play the game of basketball at the NBA level. I just don't think he has it despite his talent. If you're not there mentally and you're not tough and you're a weak-minded in- individual who's always looking for the outs and the excuses, it doesn't matter that you're 6'10 and freakishly talented. You're not going to cut it. Yeah, he's not the absolutely. first. He's not the first one to deal with this. Absolutely, especially when you have the money to pay for fifteen sports psychologists to figure out what the hell's going on with you. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. So, also, I have to tell you about this theory about Tom Brady and Giselle's divorce, and it's actually related to FTX, the crypto trading platform. So, check this out. This is one hundred percent verified on a timeline basis okay so tom brady and giselle you know they're together they're on an italian vacation at the end of june and in july they're kind of laying low they don't put anything out public and kind of in that same time they go down they link with homeboy sam bagman freed in the in the bahamas and essentially he must have tipped them off about something because right after that They start putting out press releases through TMZ, staging these paparazzi photos to make this divorce look like it was happening. Because Tom Brady and Giselle, in this summer, in August, I guess, like, you know, 
uh, yeah, in August, committed all of their net worth into FTXV, $650 million. They put all their money in FTX. And so all they have left are their houses. So because FTX gave away all the money and everyone's going to come, come for them in a lawsuit, they're going to get involved in all this class action shit. They're getting the divorce to hide the assets, their homes and stuff. And Tom Brady went back to football because he had to actually go make more money because they just lost all of their money. Let me say this part, though. This is really sad that people are willing to like dig this deep into somebody's personal finance situation. Um, and it, it's just, it's sad. <laughs> Honestly, well, it's sad. I mean, that, that's what I'm saying, though. The divorce it's a, it's a, it's a sad a, thing. It's a sad thing to even worry about this conspiracy theory. Two people are getting divorced. We don't know what their financial situation is. This is bullshit. Like, honestly, like the fact that people would even tap into this storyline like this. And, and, and if it is true, these people are going through some significant hardships. And the fact that idiots online are digging this deep into trying to figure out, oh, it's because of FTX, because FTX is the, the hot storyline now. It's a bunch of bullshit. I mean, the, well, way that Tom Brady's, the way that Tom Brady's deal with FTX worked and what i know the inner workings of these crypto deals with athletes he was given a lot of crypto he didn't need to invest a whole lot of money into this crypto he was given this crypto to be an endorser a lot of this these are marketing plays and it's very very disappointing to even hear these type of storylines well i mean it's i mean it's it's all it's all tracked is what i'm saying like he put him and giselle put all of their net worth into ftx so literally it's it's tracked by who it's literally, I who? mean, all the crypto transactions are public. You can look them up. Like that's so the their entire, these, the, these two people who are fiscally very well off would put all of their money in a Absolutely. cryptocurrency. Yeah. Look okay. it up. They just put in August $650 million into FTX specifically. And FTX is an exchange. I don't, I don't, I don't buy it. I think it's so better. that's what's so crazy about this whole divorce that they're going through is that they're literally sitting here and just moving assets around, but essentially using this very, very crazy, well thought out PR campaign to make everyone think that they're going through a separation and, and a divorce. But really, Tom had to go back to work. He had to get some more money. And so did Giselle. We'll see. I, I, I don't buy it. I don't think I, it would be really surprising for me to to know that two very smart people who, who were able to accumulate $650 million would put all 650 It just seems like one of these conspiracy theories that maybe maybe there's some evidence that shows that and all of these transactions are tracked. But we would have known before today that they put their entire net worth. I think this is just a storyline that creates headlines. It's just another one. Those That's just my thought on it. Like. It's just really hard to believe that somebody would put $650 million into a cryptocurrency that they worked for 30 years or however long they both worked into a cryptocurrency exchange um, like that. I just, it's hard for me. Well, to I mean, yeah, you should definitely look it up. But yeah, it's crazy with this stuff. I but mean, I just, FTX- I just, I just Googled it and I don't see anything about anything, any verifiable like, um, recognizable platform saying that Giselle Bunchen and Tom Brady put their entire network. You're going to have to check the, the crypto sites. But yeah, no, it's a pretty crazy, it's a pre- pretty if crazy it, why thing. Would I, why, would that not, why would that not translate into mainstream media if that's true? This oh, it just, like, ha- it just hasn't broke yet. It just broke today. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to get there probably in the next three to five days. 
Well, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just one of those things that I think another one of those things. Like if they if they were involved in the fraud scheme, definitely um, of FTX, which again I think is the is a larger thing, a larger issue that I have with this tech and crypto space and these founders. These these celebrity founders, they're a bunch. Well, it's of not just Tom Brady and Giselle; it's also Shaq who's involved in this, and uh, Kevin O'Leary. All are getting sued now by a huge. Of class course, action. they're going to. Everybody who's involved is going to get sued now, whether or not they were aware of the scheme that was no, being run. They were definitely not aware of all the money being embezzled. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But yeah, they definitely were heavily, heavily intertwined, and this whole thing was a Ponzi scheme in its entirety. So this is like. This needed to happen in the crypto world for the for the industry to actually ask itself the important question, which is like, is no regulation really what we're after? Right. Because I think like the whole premise is like no regulation is great. But then you look at this kid, Sam Bankman Freed, in the in the interviews he's done DMing different uh, media reps has literally been like, oh, yeah, all the stuff I said about, you know, no regulation, all that was bullshit. It was just like a PR strategy that I had in place. Like, if you see, like, some of his DMs came out because he sent them to a reporter and did, like, a DM interview. And literally, like, this dude is showing no remorse right now, which is, like, <laughs> it's, like, pretty nuts. Like, because there's no, there's no recourse for any of these people either because it's a non-regulated space. So, you know, it's... It's wild. Like I think this area definitely needs like common ground rules that everybody can follow. Oh, and huh. yeah, it's, like, it's nuts. You know, on that point, I definitely agree, and I think there's another thing that I think I want to talk about. We'll talk about it in a in a red eye next week about the idea of um, creating these celebrity CEOs um, and what it does because a, a lot of brilliant minds they aren't developed socially. And then you put a lot of power and money in their hands. They don't know how to handle it. And it happens, you know, there's a whole series on CNBC called American Greed. Um, and a lot of people are, don't have the psychological mental capacity to handle the responsibility and they're not prepared for it. They like the glory. They like the attention. And when it comes, they don't know how to handle it. In almost every one of these situations, what ends up happening isn't there's an opportunity where they can come out and be honest about what the scenario is. They don't, then they double down. And that's when the fraud starts to begin because they're so worried about just being transparent, being honest and saying, hey, this thing isn't going as I had hoped. Um, I want to be honest and transparent about it. And if you see what's happening, and it's hard to do when the world and media is building you up to be this super child um, superstar. But this is a guy who went to MIT clearly doesn't have a lot of social intelligence, just as was really good. And they just kept saying, oh, this guy's brilliant. We want to make him into this, this superstar. And now people are paying the price for it, um, for trusting someone. And honestly, I don't think he's the primary culprit here. Like, I think he is a product of what he was created to become uh, and he's he's obviously got to take the brunt of it because he's probably losing all the money he developed but i would not be surprised if in two or three years he's raising capital for another business um and and ends up fine um but it's just that's my issue with this whole ftx crypto thing is this idea of american greed of like when something comes up and it's always about the numbers it's all about the money this has never really been about liberating society. Maybe Satoshi, when he created Bitcoin, was thinking that. But this was all about monetization. 
the Finkelwoss twins or whoever else, all these people, this was about greed and an opportunity to exploit and, 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 and create an incredible amount of wealth. And the truth is, it's really hard to make money <laughs> in, in the real world. And crypto is suffering from the fact of, of quick money. You know, I, I think that that's what it, it's unfortunate because I think the premise on which the currency and the concept of the blockchain was created was not about creating incredible amounts of wealth for people. Yeah. 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 Well said. Um, you know, I, I also wanted to bring up uh, Musk's first week at Twitter. Um, so a few things that, you know, were kind of sitting sitting on my chest about this is that I think it's like really important for everyone to recognize that Twitter is the largest publisher of content. And I say publisher because um, in a sense, it, it really is a media platform with the type of information that's shared on there. And it is the world's largest, you know, by a lot. They have like quarter billion daily active users on that platform. So you've got this kind of huge, huge footprint uh, of eyeballs that are looking there for news commentary and perspective. And it's no, no like secret, shouldn't be a secret if you study what billionaires do as to why that's really, really valuable for Elon to own. And, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that this is straight out of the Jeff Bezos playbook in a sense where you know, you're going to sit down and buy media property because you've built your space thing. You have your you know, other tech thing. Like at the end of the day, like a media enterprise that Elon owns is really, really important to any sorts of moves that he wants to make and to be able to manage his image as well. So I just think like it's just important when you use Twitter to just look at it through that lens. Um, obviously, it's algorithmically driven and, you know, there's going to be a lot of things that are normal about it. But like, just like the Washington Post hasn't written a bad article about Bezos since he bought it, kind of the same thing will probably happen in front of you. So just you know, keep an eye on that. And then you know, kind of beyond that, I think one thing that was really funny to me was seeing the Twitter employee reactions to Musk coming in, and essentially, like I think the tech industry is has been like pretty spoiled over the last decade because of the amount of capital flowing into it, so creating like a really unsustainable work situation. From you know the amount of time you're asked to work and like the workload, and you know Elon comes in essentially like yeah you gotta you gotta come back to the office if you want to help build this thing, and you know if you don't like you have to be like exceptional enough that it makes sense for me to let you not have to be here, and you know you also like have to work hard and have to actually create value, and at the same time he's like I don't expect you to work more hours than you know a normal workday, but. He's like, I'll do that. You don't have to do that. I just want you to be a part of this and bring the same intensity. And I think that that's really reasonable. And you know, that's how I would, if I was at a company, I would want want my boss to communicate with me in that same way as well, because that's how I approach my work. And you know, it's funny to me, in a sense. I mean, it's it's a, it's funny that people are complaining about that because it's just like, yo, that's also like that's what a job is. It's like you do have to like work for that money you're getting paid and you do get paid really really well at companies like twitter so you know that's kind of that's kind of my perspective on all of this you know at the same time like i definitely can empathize with people who feel like 
you know, the change is rapid and, you know, they're not comfortable with that. But then, you know, you can work at any single company you want. You don't have to stay at Twitter. Like it got bought by new people because the model wasn't working because the way you were doing things wasn't working. That's why new ownership has come in. And, you know, that's that's what it is. Like you don't have to keep working there if you don't like the new tone. But if you do and you are that type of person, then that's your spot. Like that's another home for you. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a very, very kind of high line way to look at this. I definitely agree that the tech industry and the social media industry um, have, have, have had these issues with uh, not understanding the value of a dollar. But with that said, Elon Musk is no hero here. The difference between him and Jeff Bezos is that when Jeff Bezos brought, bought the Washington post, it had very little collateral damage or impact on the growth and development of Amazon as a company. Elon has has compromised, and this is what is very disappointing, I think, with a lot of kind of founders like Elon, is not understanding that they do have a responsibility to shareholders. What has developed his net worth and his ability to buy Twitter is the success of Tesla as a company. Um, him going and selling a uh, significant stake in Tesla during a time period where Tesla's shareholders are struggling and the valuation of the company is struggling is very irresponsible, very self-centered, very, very irresponsible as a CEO and as a founder to do. So I do want to, I don't want to make him seem like he's, he's some hero that's blameless here. Elon operates. And this again goes back to what I was saying about the dangers of the celebrity founder and putting these people on pedestals um, that they don't belong in because most people can't handle what that comes from. Elon became obsessed with Twitter because of how large of a following he developed on Twitter and how much of a call and response interaction he had and his ability to move um, content on there. So it became, this is about Elon Musk without ever thinking, because the other thing that Jeff Bezos did was he bought the Washington Post, but he did not implement himself as the CEO of the Washington Post when he had no experience running any sort of media entity and say, hey, I'm the guy to fix these problems. And that's where the issues with Elon Elon come in here. Yeah, it's it's definitely, um, yeah, I definitely agree with that um, that perspective, because I think there's a lot of signs that um, you know, ego is definitely involved in the process. Um, you know, at the same time, I I definitely think the company's going to end up better than it is. Like, I definitely think Elon's pretty pretty freaking good at what he does. So, I have no doubts it's going to improve the actual business and the the experience on there as a user, and probably the advertising value will go up as well. Um, you know, over the coming coming years, coming months, whatever whatever that looks like. So, I definitely think he'll succeed. Um, but yeah, Elon's definitely a volatile personality. So I think like if you're expecting, I think like especially like as a shareholder in his businesses, if you're expecting like him not to be willing to like sell a bunch of his stake in one to support another when he wants to, just on a whim, like you're like not you're not investing intelligently. You know, well, you have just, to understand that. It goes against his ethos. This is a play that goes against his ethos as a scientist, as an engineer. This is an ego play. It's very clear that's an ego play. It's a mistake. It's a mistake on multiple levels. It is it is completely egotistical for him to believe that he can he knows media and it's already showing the missteps that he's making are already showing 
this idiotic idea of being able to pay $8 for verification has already backfired um, pretty significantly. And, and he didn't think, he doesn't think through these things well, and it shows a lack of understanding of how media actually works. Um, you might, you know, you, you obviously have a, a strong stance on Elon, the person, and you, and you like him as a figure. Um, but this definitely, definitely was a poor decision that has a lot of collateral damage on a lot of people. Um, and Elon is going to be fine at the end of this, but it's just, it's just another powerful figure deciding to, 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 to make a move out of selfish interest with no, no regard for anyone else. Oh, yeah. I think that's that's a hundred percent, you know, aligned with with my point as well. Is like if you're a smart investor, like, and you look at Elon and you see in a direction he's moving, like, you just have to have to be aware that that's he's he's a volatile guy. He makes waves with every decision he makes, and it has impact across the board, right? And it's like if you're if you're a shareholder in his businesses, like, be expected for that. Be expecting yeah. that volatility. But right? I, I like, think the the yeah. frustrating thing with this particular situation is. When Tesla, when he talks about Tesla, when he talks about the what he did to develop that product and and make it a viable product, that showcases his skill as an engineer and talent as an engineer and as a scientist and as a CEO specifically in that space. Um, it's just it's frustrating, despite his volatile personality in that space. I can say. Well, Elon probably knows what he's doing. I can even if it's a, if he's making some some very extreme decisions, I know and trust that he knows what he's doing. I can't I can't give him that same level of trust when it comes to running a media empire or a social media empire because that is not how he's wired. The man is an engineer. So he might be if if he came in and said, "Hey, I'm going to fix the system of Twitter and how the operation works." That's fine, but when he gets into marketing and branding and all of these things, I just hope he hires the right folks and and he doesn't implement himself as the CEO of the company because he's in above his head um, and it's too large of a company. This isn't a startup, like you said. This is a publicly traded company that has uh, extreme amount of value in shareholders and people, other people who um, who. Are impacted by your decision making. Like when it comes to, I, I just feel like SpaceX, Tesla versus Twitter is just two completely different ball ball games. Well, it's a company with also like I think like ten thousand employees, and you know, it really doesn't need that that size of a workforce as well. There's a oh, lot, yeah, I'm a not, lot, I'm lot not, going there as well. You know, just that on add on there. Like I think that. This is an interesting one to observe because I agree with you. It's out of the scope of what he's done before, but at the same time, like he never invented the Tesla car. It was already it was already a company. He came in after the Roadster yeah. existed, you know. So it's like he can lead engineering teams, and he has a track record of being able to manage smart people. I think he does a pretty good job with that. But his uh, his world is is one of just really really tough tough work you know and people i know who have gone to work for him just don't last like they're there for one to three years and you know a few people become lifers because that's just what they're there for and it's like just what it is like some people, yeah i just yeah yeah some people I just, just don't like that i just i just don't think he's a very good ceo i think he's a great founder i think he's a great personality to have in your company 
but I don't think that he he's very, very like it's the same thing we were talking about with the presidency, right? When you bring in a CEO who's once you get the responsibility of Tesla, which is like one of the most valuable companies in the world, um, the decision making at the top, creating that volatility, one figure or one person being able to create that much volatility um, is dangerous. And I think, again, it goes back to this idea of we created Elon Musk. We created the monster by telling him he was invincible, by telling him his shit didn't stink. And this is, again, Elon Musk. We want to point the finger at this individual and who he is. But as a society, we have to reflect and say, we created this monster. We allowed it to happen. And it goes back to like the, and there's a larger discussion to be had about mental health, about narcissism, created narcissism in, in society. And, and we see it, Kanye, Elon, Kyrie. It's like, it's us. That's why these people are being created. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree. I mean, I think, I think it's, it's this idea of like celebrification of an individual where, you know, everyone's just a person. Right. And it's like, we can, we can look up to people, but we shouldn't, we shouldn't let them think that their shit doesn't stink at the end of the day, like you said. And, you know, I think across the board, like, it's good. It's good if you can maintain like a humility day to day. Like it's good in life if you have those people. And you know, I think this what, what this also brings to mind is like on one side, I agree with you because I think there's a, uh, there's a level of stability that's important to provide as a societal leader. But then, kind of on the other side, it's almost like I disagree with you because I think that a lot of what Elon does despite the fact that you know it has ramifications that could be perceived as negative for a lot of people in their volatility like do create rapid change and create conversation in society that needs to be had and you know I kind of feel the same way about Kanye like despite the way that he doesn't communicate his messages that well and there's a lot of collateral damage from that is the conversation valuable for us to have as a society like most times like absolutely whatever conversation we have ends up helping me at least you know grow from it as a person you know so yeah that's the balance there i don't disagree with the philosophical positioning but again i think what you're failing to understand is again you have to take responsibility for who you are right part of the issue with kanye is he decided to work with adidas and not be an independent ceo part of the issue with elon is he is a CEO of a publicly traded company. It is not fully on him. That's that's where we kind of disagree. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I guess my point would be that they're just humans, right? So, like at the end of the day, like that that should be what we expect is for them to have flaws and for them to do things wrong and for us not to, to your point, not to gas them up, you know, for no reason, right? But to literally just like actually treat them like human beings and at the same time, like be inspired by their greatness, but also like acknowledge that they have flawed moments just like we all do. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it's a good conversation to be had um, overall. And I don't think it's a conversation that's going to be solved um, overnight. Um, But I think that we've, we've kind of had a good conversation over so far on multiple fronts. What if we did, what if we did solve it? We we just came out of this podcast, had it solved for everybody, had it figured out, man. Yeah. (laughs) One day somebody will solve it. 
<laughs> well, on that note, um, to everybody listening, uh, thanks for tuning in. Be sure to be you and stay moving. You as fly. Uh, boys out. <laughs>